Hello and welcome to the Makeshift Shed for the third in our series of uh, shed casts uh, with a guest today who is Claire Sutcliffe. Uh, she is uh, co-founder of uh, CoClub, one of the uh, interesting startups that sprung up around uh, Shoreditch but with a different angle in that this is a non-profit and um, I, I met Claire um, probably about a year ago um, and we've had a kind of interesting relationship since. I've helped with her a few things. Um, she's had events at our place. Uh, there's been all sorts of things happening and it's actually culminating now with me trying to set up a code club in my local primary school. So she's something of a, um, an influence on me so I thought it'd be interesting to get her in uh, to talk to us and talk to me and have a conversation about what code club is, um, about what it means and what the future of education for young people and technology uh, might be. So welcome. Thanks for coming into the shed. Yeah, thanks for having me in the shed. Uh, we <laughs> have like quite that. an interesting environment, don't we? Because we've got uh, we've got the rain outside. Uh, we've got uh, workmen down below rebuilding uh, the studio below us. So uh, we may get a few uh, interruptions from sound, but um, yeah, please ignore those in the background. <laughs> and some slurps of tea, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome. Um, perhaps you could just um, give me a little bit of an overview on what Code Club is for those who aren't familiar. Okay, uh, well, Code Club is a nationwide network of volunteer-led after-school coding clubs for children aged 9 to 11. Uh, can you tell I've said that before? I think you said that a few times. <laughs> yeah, um, we write projects that we give to programmers who volunteer to go and teach after-school coding clubs for an hour every week at their local primary school or public venue, like a library or a community centre. Oh, so it's not just at schools? No, it's open to any venue, um, as long as it's a safe environment, there's plenty of adults around, there's computers. It's just we aim it at primary schools because the infrastructure is already there to be used um, and it's a lot easier. Like 45% of our volunteers are teachers, so they're kind of proactive teachers that um, want to teach this stuff already. And they're looking for a way that's easy other than having to write projects for themselves, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, having a mixture of people who are involved is going to be important because um, when I first heard about your quite ambitious project, I think you were speaking. We were speaking at an event together, weren't we? That's where we yeah, first met. Yeah, it was the first time I'd ever spoken in public. So. Oh really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hadn't spotted that. I don't think anyone in the audience had spotted it. And um, you had this rather ambitious target. I can't remember what it was. It was something like we want several thousand schools across Britain. Uh, to be teaching kids how to code. And this yeah. was right at the same time as um, the CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, had come over and had said something very important at a very important event uh, yeah. about how the UK was kind of behind in uh, technology education. And then I remember reading that and then coming to the event where you were speaking and hearing you talking about how that actually might come about. Um, <laughs> and looking back now, um, of that ambition, do you think you're anywhere near what you, you yeah. set out to achieve? The ambition is to have a code club in 25% of UK primary schools. And how, and many are there? how many primary schools are there? There are about 21,000 primary schools in the UK. Right. Um, so that's quite a lot, but we're going for about 5,000, being the about 25% mark. Okay. Um, and that's and when we say like 25% as in like places that have started a club since we launched because we're just still trying to find out which ones are still active and which ones um, have maybe shut down for a little while or maybe they've shut down entirely. It's quite hard to find that out um, because the volunteers have to volunteer that information um, to us. And because there's so many of them, we, we can't really keep track of them all. Nice problem um, to have. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> That's the right problem to have. Yeah, um, I mean, we're at, 
we're at 1,300, um, just over 1,300 um, clubs since launch now. And when did you launch? Um, well, we kind of announced the project in April 2012, but we didn't start taking like clubs for like a f official kind of public um, sign up until September last year because we did a pilot of 25 schools between in the last um, in the summer term of last year and then Linda and I worked all summer refining the projects and then we put them out ready for term one but by the time everybody started term one we were already writing term two so we try and stay a term ahead of, um, of the schools. And that kind of growth it puts a lot of startups to shame doesn't it really I mean you've got <laughs> 1300 clubs and presumably each of the classes I think I, I read that it was something like 12 is the optimum number of yeah we recommend uh, 12 because children are fun <laughs> and <laughs> if you're an adult that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't know about children then it can be a little bit um, much at first um, and it's, it's just you know it's hard to answer that many questions from that many children um, so we recommend 12 but we know the average is more like 15 um, but there's, um, as I say, there's a bunch of teachers doing this and they're a lot more confident um, with running larger groups of children so that makes the average um, go a bit funny, if you know what I mean. So the teacher-led clubs are larger and the volunteer-led clubs are, are smaller. So why have you done this? <laughs> because yes, you, that's you an know. excellent, excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> um, why have we done this? <clears throat> I think it's a mixture of reasons. Um, a journalist was niggling me about this yesterday and she was going yes but why have you done it <laughs> and I think there's a list of reasons first of all um Linda is very um Linda's your co-founder yeah Linda's my co-founder she's very kind of ambitious and like oh we can do anything it's completely fine so she kind of um encouraged me into the decision to to go for it um secondly like we saw a a gap if you will like a thing that needed doing and we thought we could we'd worked out how it could be solved at least for the time being um i'll get back to that later um okay. <laughs> and i guess as as linda's a programmer i'm a web designer we realized that you know we watched our colleagues running around desperately trying to hire programmers and they're not being very many and playing paying like crazy salaries and stuff and we realised that that's not going to get any better anytime soon unless somebody does something to encourage more children into it because there's such a huge market for programmers, right? I mean, I don't know if you disagree. Well, there really is. Like I mean, you know, I'm a programmer myself, so I, um, I kind of understand the, um, the, the there's a, a bit of a, a problem in the market at the moment in that we, um, we have an explosion in people wanting to do tech startups, tech companies. Mm -hmm. Technology is now part of most businesses. Um, and yet we've had a like a decline in interest in the uh, the number of people choosing s software and computer science as a as a career path yeah. i am um, <coughs> i sit on the board of my old computer science department because i did a degree in computer science at birmingham mm. um, and they invited me on to the board to kind of think about what they're doing as a department and so on and the stats are just really sh shocking i mean the the year that i did my degree that was like the high watermark um, mm. And since then, it's just been a steady decline, which seems to be counterintuitive, yeah. surely. Well, we can see the huge wave of interest, right, because we're at the at that end of it. Um, but I think, I feel like um, educational institutions don't get 
what's coming their way. And I think, like, so for example, my old uni invited me to come in and teach um, HTML and CSS and some basic interaction design for six weeks out of a three year graphic design course. Yes. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> that is not enough. <laughs> like, I can't do it anyway. But the point is, like, that's not enough these days, like, just for, for a graphic design course. Like, even though. It's yeah, there's, there's a debate, though, isn't there? I and mean, I was talking to Nick, my co founder at Makeshift, about this issue um, yeah. about the practicality uh, of teaching people to. Um, to do things with technology at a kind of degree level. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is that uh, Nick did a, a degree in design um, at Goldsmiths, and yeah. that course isn't um, about designing things. It's about learning about how to think using mm -hmm. design principles. Yeah. And actually, the practical part of it isn't really that important. Okay. The, the end result is that you come out as being someone who can think about things in a, in a similar way. Okay. So I mean, it NCLK, sounds like his course was way better than mine then, because mine was all about um, learning to use tools to create ideas um, rather than learning to think. But Goldsmith is an amazing uni. So. Well, I didn't know much about it, so I didn't, I didn't really. I did, I did consider design as a, as a path. Mm. Um, I kind of wanted to do computer and design. Yes, and it didn't exist back then. I think it exists a bit more now. Um, so I think the when you're at a degree level, when you're already there, then you've you've already just decided the kind of skills you you want to have and the path you want to take to some degree. Um, yeah. The 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 problem I see is is kind of before that. There's uh, when people are choosing GCSEs and when they're choosing what to do for A levels and so on. Um, they're, they're not going towards technology for some reason. They're not going towards computer science as a way of um, building a career for themselves. Mm. Or, well, they, well, they are, obviously, but the trend is downwards, not upward. Yeah. Um, and when I saw your project, I thought, well, hang on, isn't this, isn't the intervention you need to make um, much earlier? And it seems to me that you and Rewired State have come to a similar conclusion that um, it's the primary level where you you need to make an intervention to help avert that trend. Yeah. Um, I think the the 9 to 11 age group gets questioned quite a lot, like why have we specifically chosen that age group? Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that as well. Um, first of all, um, our projects require like quite a lot of reading and some you know fairly basic maths. Um, and if we were to go with an age group that was younger than, than 9, um, they would need a lot of help with that never mind the problems that the actual coding part might represent. Um, so the group of children would need to be smaller for a volunteer to be able to manage them and therefore we wouldn't be able to affect so many children. Um, and if we went any older, they'd be physically in a different building in a secondary school. Um, so we would need a different set of resources and a different set of volunteers, mm -hmm. probably. Um, so this nine to 11 age group is really good for those reasons, but also Girls especially don't seem so bothered by an activity that maybe the rest of society deems to be more appropriate for boys, and they're more likely to join in, which is why Code Club is 40% girls, um, because they haven't yet seen that distinction, um, which we think is really cool. Well, there's a, uh, you know, there's a big uh, debate around, around that, why in Britain do we have this disparity in people going and doing computer science or getting into technology generally? Mm. Um, 
between the uh, the sexes? Why why do we have people uh, being discouraged before they even get it get towards university? Yeah. Um, Emma McQueeny, uh, an event I was at recently, um, just said that the the intervention they try to make is to give uh, the idea that you can be uh, a maker with technology um, uh, a kind of a kind of a, it's like a, what was she saying? It was something like a, a, a culture around it. Mm. A, a give it a, a sense that there's a club, a team, there's other people like you who want to also do this stuff. Mm. Um, because the danger is that you can feel like a bit of an outsider. If you're into te- technology and making things with computers, then there is still this kind of social stigma around, oh, you're a loner, you're by yourself in your room with your computer. Whereas actually, if you can build a, a, a culture around it, it's a bigger idea, mm. um, then you can make it just feel totally normal. Mm. Uh, just make it completely, absolutely normal that you're just making something on the computer. That's it. Um, so I've been trying to do that with my, with my kids. Right. Uh, you're just making it the same as drawing a picture. Or we're making something on the computer, we're drawing a picture, we're making something with a cardboard box. It's all part of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I think perhaps as they grow I'm just a bit concerned that the cultural pressure will come in and then there'll be a yeah there's a thing, I think there's a couple of different effect. facets to it isn't there because one one part is the kind of uh, loner sort of nerd in a in a darkened room with a green glow like thanks for that Hollywood <laughs> sort of thing um, you know that that could be applied to any any gender um, and the second is that it's more a boys thing than a girls thing, and I do wonder whether that comes from um, engineering being used to like used to be being a lot more male, and that kind of that sort of image of like a man with a spanner, etc. And then as computing kind of came along, and it's very machine like driven, that that just came along with it, um, and maybe that's maybe that's where it came from. But I'd be interested to find out a bit more about why people think that it's just for men yeah I personally don't get it um it doesn't make any sense to me but definitely at university there was there was was about 106 people on my course or something like that um it was a big course that year biggest it's ever been and I I think there were six women of that order it was it was quite a shocking environment to suddenly find myself in um you know Mm. having been a college where it's completely mixed just to suddenly arrive is like wow hang on <laughs> what's what's going on very very strange um, and I, I find it encouraging that you're saying that you've managed to set up a, a system where just by the nature of it you're making sure it's kind of pretty equal yeah I mean we do we go out of our way <laughs> that sounds weird we go out of our way to not mention gender if that makes yeah, sense yeah. so we ask our volunteers not to say like oh, it's for girls too, just say, it's for everyone. Um, we make sure that our projects aren't you know, biased towards one gender or, or another. So mm. we don't do shooting games, we don't do dolly games. You know, Everything's very, very gender neutral um, to make sure that it doesn't put off one kind or another. Um, we're starting to see that, that left to their own devices, they will still fork off in these different directions. But I don't know if that's because of sort of um, conditioning that they've had before then. You can't sort of sort no. with, with, with software. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, so you, you, so a, a child um, who expresses an interest um, mm. in doing coding or what, what, what Mozilla is calling being a web maker, which I think is quite a nice term, really. I like yeah. that. Um, uh, they, 
they just put themselves forward in their in their school do they or how does it how does it work how do you, how do you normally find comes it? from the top down right. so either a volunteer would approach a school and say i want to run a code club at your school would you like me to the school probably says yes mm-hmm. um, and then the volunteer will go in and, and do an assembly and say and say i'm going to run a code club and this is what programming is and you know who's got an iphone and you know how it's made and all that kind of thing and then um, and then asks who wants to join in and then most of the school puts their hand up and yeah. all those clubs are, are like really heavily oversubscribed the ones where they go and do an assembly i was reading exactly this the um i saw an article um, um i think uh, linda put it out yeah on medium a couple yeah. of days ago um and i just wanted to ask you a little bit about that because the the danger here is that your um you're a small organisation. You only have so much funding. Um, you're kind of you're the little guy fighting against the system, trying to make a difference. Mm. And it seems to me that in order for the uh, in order for the, for the for Code Club to be um, successful for as many people as possible, you have to be able to meet that demand in the school. That if if you know fifty kids put up their hand and you only have space for twelve then there should be some mechanism somehow to enable all 50 to be able to be part of it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're going to end up with some pretty disappointed kids. And um, I I wonder what you think is the, is the future for what you're trying to do, because you're in year one. Obviously, you've seen this massive uh, demand for what you're trying to do. Mm. How do you scale it up so that you can help anybody who's interested in this um, be, uh, be able to attend a co-club? Well, good question, Steph. Thank Sorry. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, Linda and I have always said that co-club is not the answer to this problem, right? It's a sticking plaster on a gaping hole, okay, on a gaping wound that is so big that we could never fix it. On, on our own just with volunteers and as Linda said like relying on volunteers is ridiculous like we can't do this forever it's just not going to work as you say the demand is way too high um, and the only way for every child in the UK to to have the chance is for teachers to teach it it's the only way because you have to use the infrastructure that's already there and whilst we're trying to do that at Code Club we rely so heavily on volunteers that we just can't, we, we won't be able to reach everybody and we won't be able to take them all the way through two years. You know, there's so many children um, that if we do manage it, I'd be very happy but also extremely surprised. Um, so do you look at yourself and the organisation you've built as almost a prototype for a government programme? Yeah, but, well, not really. <laughs> That's not really kind of no. why we, we set out to do it. We just sort of thought, oh, well, this will be fun. We'll see what happens. Um, I think the problem is with any government programme is you sort of need to set yourself a target, right? Like, how many people are you planning to teach? If you want this to be in every school, then every school needs someone who can run it. Um, and in the same way that every school now teaches mathematics and every school now teaches English and a foreign language, a modern foreign language, it's going to take a while to make sure that there are people in every school that can teach computer science and programming. Um, and 
you know, the government have just changed the curriculum, which is fantastic. And we can niggle on about like all the different bits of it and whether they're right or wrong. But the fact is they've made a, a positive change and acknowledged that it's that's important. It's kind of a next to useless change because the teachers don't know how to teach it. Um, my mum is a as is a primary school teacher and she phoned me up and she said what's an algorithm and I was like brilliant it's like the second step in key stage one I think or maybe key stage two and she already doesn't know what it is and she googled it because she's not that <laughs> stupid but you know we're talking about thousands and thousands of teachers and at least one teacher in every school will need to learn it so that they can disseminate it to the rest because you know how primary school teachers how primary school works is every teacher teaches every subject but there'll be a leader in that subject in the school yes um so every teacher needs to know it that's like 20 teachers times twenty-one thousand primary schools that's a lot of people that need to so be trained am I, am I sensing a pivot <laughs> are you uh are you actually going to be doing co-club for uh teachers um is that the logical next step where you actually start coming up with materials and resources because you have the lesson plans you've got all of that do you now move towards a, a more um, uh, strategic approach where you say, okay, we've proven the market, we know that the, the kids want to be mm. part of this, we've got higher high demand than we can possibly achieve. The way to s now step up is for the government to pay for us to educate the teachers. Should that be the next That the next would make thing? logical sense, wouldn't it? Are we having like a business uh, <laughs> consultancy meeting? No, um, <laughs> it's actually, it's been on the cards for a while and... Um, don't, if, don't worry if, I, if, that's, if that's competitive <laughs> no, no, or anything, then no, don't, don't... No, like if you check our jobs board, you will see that there is a job there for a project manager to help us run our teacher trainer project. Interesting. Um, so <clears throat> the plan is for us to start training teachers um, to be able to deliver the new curriculum, not necessarily to deliver a code club because the two are very different. One needs to meet the objectives of the national curriculum and the other one is fun, inspirational, look what fun computer science can be. Um, and whilst we still want to be able to teach the national curriculum in a fun and engaging way, um, it's not the same as handing over a worksheet and watching what happens, which is what we do with code clubs. The teacher needs to be very engaged, understand the subject matter and then explain it in a way that a nine-year-old can understand. Um, actually, the national curriculum has been changed from key stage one all the way through to key stage four, so it needs to be sort of from like five or six years old all the way up to pre-GCSEs. So you, you think it's quite a positive change that the, the curriculum has been changed to yeah, cover I think this. Yeah, I think we have to be pretty careful about how we go about training teachers and, and making sure that they don't kill the subject matter by well, a lack a of enthusiasm on their part. Um, so one of the biggest things for us is to make sure that teachers feel confident with the subject matter and that they feel like they can um, add some even more, even more interest and fun to their lessons with it rather than just going, oh God, I have to teach this thing now and I don't really understand it and it's a total drag on my time. Like, you mm. know, how can we teach Romans and a computational um, thinking concept at the same time I'm sure there's a way you know and that's what that's what they need to think about and that's what we need to do is to try and make them feel confident and happy seems like quite a, a challenge a, yeah well you know we're not one to shy away from a challenge so, so. this is a long-term thing this is a do this for the next 10 years until the problem is solved uh, yeah we'll make ourselves redundant at some point so <laughs> you, I, you you led me on to my question because surely when you've when you've achieved this yeah. then you'll know that you've you, you've 
done it because the kids yeah. are, are doing Tick. well. <laughs> Finished. Finished. You really believe that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. But right. something else will come along, won't it? And and we'll we'll work on that instead. Yes, I do think that the um, that the, the the piece that you're doing here is crucially important, and that's why I invited you into the into the shed because mm. I think uh, the the fact that you've you, you you've shone a spotlight on it on this this hole as you call it this, this gap. Um, it really helped us all think about what what are we doing as as uh, a country to help uh, get children into the same kind of industry that we're involved in. Mm. Um, the, the 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 big thing for for us as a as a company is that it's very hard to hire people, um, and knowing that there's you know some education happening at the at that far that far down at the primary level it's it's great. Um, it just feels like we are still so far behind, yeah. um, and we're going to be dealing with the fact that we don't have enough people to do the jobs that the you know we're generating as a, a sector. Uh, that's going to be happening for a long time, I think, mm. um, because by the time those those primary kids come through, you know, it's that's that's a long that's a long wait. Yeah, that's you're looking at time. a good ten years. <clears throat> but you know, if you never start doing something about a problem, it's never going to go away. Is it? So there is a there is a little while to wait. It has to be said. But I think what's what I find really encouraging about about what we do is how much industries got involved with it and how supportive they are. Um, especially when we start talking about developer salaries, actually, um, and we're like, well, you know, I'm not saying we're going to fix this or anything, but they're demanding pretty high salaries and they're you know bright people. Um, and they they really seem to get that, and they're like, well, we need to start doing something about it now. Um, also, like hits their CSR and and sort of marketing um, sort of targets and that kind of thing. But sure. like, especially like the banks down in Canary Wharf are doing. You know, there's like more developers, more programmers in Canary Wharf than there are in Tech City. Like, there's two thousand in one bank alone. It's crazy. Um, but we walked into Morgan Stanley and there are now 50 volunteers from Morgan Stanley volunteering in Tower Hamlets and where they live, which is in, which is pretty cool, I That's think. That's great. That's really um, great. What does the um, uh, the process of being, of being a volunteer involve? How much time do you uh, normally have to spend on the process of volunteering to set up a co-club? Um, you will need to sort of fill in a form on the website with like your name and your contact details and stuff it doesn't take very long and then you need to apply for a DBS statement unless you're already a teacher at the school where you a DBS work. statement <clears throat> yeah disclosure and barring service okay. it's what a CRB check used to be called okay. which is criminal records bureau um, just changed the acronym yeah they just changed thing. it because you know why not okay. um, and uh, I'm sure there's a reason I just don't <laughs> know what it is um, just confuse everybody um, it's basically uh, to check that you don't have any uh, child abuse um, criminal record okay. um, that you're safe to work with children and uh, STEMnet who are a government funded organization actually pay for those for free if you're if you become a STEMnet ambassador then you don't have to pay for it and they provide insurance for you and you can run a code club anywhere which is pretty cool um, some schools don't want you to do that they want to do a CRB a, a DBS check on you themselves and that's fine they'll pay for that and then you need to make sure you're on their insurance so going when you do one through um, STEMnet you have to go to like a two-hour session but they teach you a bit about um, how to work safely with young people and what they can and can't tell you and what you need what information you need to pass on and you know don't touch them anywhere apart from on the elbow and that kind of thing okay. um, which is all really useful information if you don't have kids and you don't know about working with other people's kids 
um, and then you fill in all your paperwork and then like four weeks later you get it back and then you can put the number in our website and go activate and then you get all the materials um, so I guess so by this point you probably spent about thing. three hours okay. together um, depending on how far away their office is they have offices all over the UK stem there um, and then I guess there's a little bit of prep time each week to do the project mm-hmm. to see if where there might be stumbling blocks like along the way for the kids um, print them out however many kids you got staple them drive to the school <laughs> teach your club for an hour and then come back again so I guess it's probably about two hours a week by the time you've got to the school and done your prep and that kind of thing but people say like it's really rewarding and the time just flies by and the kids always want to stay and you know that kind of thing so I think I think the time goes quite quickly by the sounds of it it sounds like it's not that hard to to do it because all you really need to do is be someone who knows a bit about technology um, has passion for the subject uh, and you've already provided the material, so it's not that you have to come along and invent a lesson. No. Uh, I think that's yeah. a, a misconception that I think people might have, is that, oh gosh, I'm not a teacher, so I couldn't possibly do that. Right. Actually, it's just someone who can uh, be comfortable with um, instilling some some of their passion to uh, a, a, cl- a room full of 12 yeah, absolutely. Children. We're not asking people. One, yeah, I, I, we're not asking people to be professional teachers. No. We're just saying be a good role model. You know, show them how much you care about programming. You don't have to stand in front of a blackboard and explain concepts. You just give them the worksheets that we've already made for you, and answer questions when they get stuck, um, and just show them how exciting it can be. Really, um, like when we set up Code Club, we thought, why does why doesn't it already exist? Because it's like a really really simple idea isn't it to send somebody with knowledge to teach people without as yet without it Um, and we realized that having to write the projects was the biggest thing stopping people from already doing it because it's so time consuming and that's why you know we're trying to like remove barriers to stop people saying oh I can't do it like what are the reasons um, that you can't do it. It seems like you're doing the startup approach. You're looking at the experience of the the volunteer and the uh, the child, mm. and trying to make it s- as smooth as possible for for both. It's the it's the logical thing to do. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's um, lovely to hear the 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 story of how it's going. Where 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 are we going uh, this next year or so? What's um, what's happening in the short term? Well, we are heading towards our twenty five percent goal still. So. Um, that's due the end of 2015 so we have a whole bunch of plans that if the funding application that I've just put in comes off will be able to happen Um, and involves things like um, regional offices around the UK to coordinate local code club activity um, and encourage local volunteers talk to local schools and businesses and get people volunteering Um, includes um, an online volunteer training course um, showing programmers Scratch because one of the reasons people don't volunteer is because they don't know Scratch and then when we show them how easy it is they go oh yeah okay that's completely fine it is Um, quite simple to use (laughs) yeah I know but it's one it's the one of it's one of the excuses that people give right Right. and we're just trying to remove all the possible reasons Um, because we did a survey asking programmers who don't volunteer why they don't volunteer and one of the reasons was that people are too busy. We can't really do too much about that. Um, but the other reasons were that um, they didn't know how to use Scratch. Um, they are intimidated by the idea of going into a classroom. So the other part of the 
online volunteer training is looking at classroom behaviour and what makes a good classroom situation and how we deal with children and lots of videos and, 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 and learning materials for that. Um, what else are we thinking of doing? Oh, we're hoping to create a sort of volunteer buddy scheme um, where volunteers can go and visit other people's clubs to get a taste of what it's like because one of the other reasons that was given was that people don't that the idea of starting a club from scratch without any experience of what it's like was a bit intimidating. So we want volunteers to be able to contact each other to say, can I come and shadow you for three weeks and then I'm going to start a club down the road? Um, because we had a lot of requests for that. So, yeah, that's another thing. Cool. Well, looking forward <laughs> to it. Um, so going a little bit wider, um, ed tech. Mm. It's, it's a pretty hot sub subject at the moment. Um, it seems to be... Uh, kind of quite growing, growing quite rapidly. Lots of people are thinking about education and technology in a different way nowadays. Yeah. Um, and particularly in this area of London, I've seen a, a few a few startups popping up that are looking at education and teaching people and uh, remote learning and all sorts of different different approaches to education and learning that um, have only really been enabled because of what's happening with the web and kind of freely available stuff. Yeah. In fact, we're thinking about doing something um, around education for our Wrangler product uh, because we are absolutely convinced that learning SQL is like a, it's it's just so important. Um, <laughs> anybody who's running a, a company that has any, any data in it should be thinking about how they're interrogating it. So we're we're starting our first uh, set of courses um, around helping people learn SQL in a, in a day or two. Um, to help them query their data, and it seems to, seems that lots of people are looking at this um, and thinking, well, actually, we can do education in a different way. Um, so I wonder if you have any insights about what's happening with the the ed tech scene and any trends you've seen emerging that uh, could be interesting. Um, I guess what well, I have I have I sometimes I get a bit confused because. People seem to switch around. They say ed tech and then they say tech ed, and like like it's the same thing. And I'm like, it's really not the same thing. One is education technology, i.e. technology that you use to teach any given subject. So you can use technology, so an iPad, for example, or a calculator, which is still technology, to teach mathematics. Or you can use an iPad to teach like a modern foreign language, for example. But that's very different to technology education, which is teaching how to make with technology. And I think there's a really important difference. And people say ed tech like it's the same thing. And I don't think it is. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just a massive pedant. Um, you are in a niche. <laughs> Remember this. Um, so from the outside, you, when people think about education and technology, they, they, and you're in, an, in a, an organization that's about teaching people about technology mm. the general assumption is that you'd be aware of the the general environment in which you're operating yeah. sounds like you're focusing more on the education like the 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 experience of education and you're you're probably reading about the school system and yeah and policy <laughs> so what <and> so, <laughs> so one of the weird things about code club is that we have to operate in this weird world of yesteryear where there's no internet connection because there's so the internet connection at primary schools is so rubbish <laughs> that if you put 20 kids online at the same time, it just crashes. So we can't use stuff like Hackasaurus. Or we can't say, we can't base all our projects on stuff like that because not enough of the schools have a good enough connection. So 
we use Scratch, but we use Scratch 1.4, which you download from the internet, right? Not Scratch 2, which you can now download, but for a while you could only use online because the school systems just weren't up to handling it. Um, so we have to do everything offline. So, so all this amazing tech ed, ed tech stuff is all happening online, as you say, because it's, it's all about like how, um, how we can use the, the web um, and the internet but we can't at Code Club. So That's just astounding. that, I mean, yeah, I, it's crazy, I, I had, isn't it? I'd assumed that things have moved on quite a bit over recent years. I mean, I, I've done workshops in schools before now, mm. um, and it, it's been pretty bad. But that, mm. I'd assumed that over the years it had, had improved. Yeah, it's not like it's not on the radar though. I mean, there was a, I think it was in, on the BBC. Um, there was a, a pretty good article about how bad internet connections were in the UK and I think it's on the government's radar but that's an expensive job you know putting good connections into 21,000 schools that's a that's expensive um, but I kind of feel like if we don't do something about it it's going to massively disadvantage um, uh, disadvantage people and I know that you know schools go on and they like browse the web and stuff but for some reason it seems like when you have a big group all going on at the same time it tends to let it down. I think it's because that schools like were missold like um, packages and stuff by certain people. So. It sounds like the same kind of problem we have in this area of London. Uh, everyone is always complaining about infrastructure. Um, the 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 just just getting a BT line installed can take a long time, mm. and we had to wait quite a long time to get our fibre line in. Luckily, it wasn't too bad, but it was like two, maybe three months. Uh, that's but, pretty bad. <laughs> but then when we did get it in, it's a 100 meg symmetric right. line, so we're not going to complain because that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the bandwidth we have here is something I would have dreamed of when I was, uh, you know, when I was at that age, you know, with my tiny little modem. Um, but I do think that we are going to miss a trick then if you're saying that the, the, uh, the bandwidth is a major factor in choosing mm. the tech that you're able to teach kids. It's... It's, it's pointless having all of this uh, work that Mozilla's doing around, um, you know, having all those beautiful tools they're making if the, actually you can't use them in a, a classroom scale, setting. scale, yeah. Well, it's, it's not pointless. It's just, it's extremely frustrating. Heavily limited, for, It's yes. like, we really wish we could use all that stuff. And it does say in our projects, like, if you've got a good connection, you know, use Hackasaurus and do this stuff. If you don't, then here's your text editor and here's your browser and off we go. Really, really basic like low level um, technology stuff which is crazy right like Linda describes it as trying to teach someone to drive a car without letting them get in a car never mind turn it on like that's crazy um, but we have to kind of do it in a very roundabout way until yeah, they get I, to I, secondary school and it's so, I'd, get so much better through, like get, get, yeah. get one of those 4G uh, little devices and make, make a little hotspots and have a Right. Have a little then, server of my own, and you know, and then so you've that's got to fine get for one school, right? And then <laughs> yeah. we're like, okay, you know. So we had a an email from um, from a, a telecommunications company who said, oh, we'd like to put, um, you know, Wi-Fi hotspots in in your schools so that you know you don't have this problem. And I was like, cool story. Do you know how many clubs we have? And they're like, oh god, it's too many. So, you know. We need to be able to provide that solution for every school, otherwise, you know, for every at least every code club. 
I really want that. If someone out there has, has something that I can give to every club that would make our lives so much easier. So a box um, that gives mega internet. That, mega that, internet. That, that means you don't have to do any setup on any machine. Yeah, just beams internet right in there. And then we can use all the amazing tools that other people have already built. I mean, we're, we're working with um, Remy Sharp, who built, who built JS Bin, and he's trying to build kind of offline version for us to use. Um, and Mozilla, I think, are working on offline version of Hexorus um, that we can put on USB sticks and stuff. Um, so we'll see. We're trying to get around it in various ways without the expensive internet box. <laughs> yeah, expensive internet box is the limitation, right? Um, yeah. There has to be a, a way. There has to be. Um, there simply has to. There must be. Otherwise, that's that's terrible. Because if you if you if, uh, if I were in gov government right now mm. and I had the choice between HS2 and massive web infrastructure upgrade across the whole of the UK, mm -hmm. uh, you know which one I'd pick. <laughs> because uh, communication and transport are kind of opposing ends of the same idea, getting people in touch with people and moving things around. Now, I, th I personally think the UK economy needs to move more towards the way that um, Korea's gone by having mega internet everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I think if we did that, then... Well, it allows people to work anywhere, right? And true. that's more important than shipping them around on a train. I know? think, I yeah. personally think so, yes. Um, I just think I that bet they put internet on that train as well. <laughs> it would be awful though, right? Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you're with me then. I don't even need to ask a question about that. Um, but the, 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 there is that um, that thing that where the the government, you you kind of look at the decisions they're making and think, well, guys, surely, surely by now we must have realised that we need to have decent internet, and the the targets they've set for broadband usage, you know, uh, across the UK just don't seem to be anywhere near what we what we will need. No. Um, and the what what do you think about the um, the argument for symmetric internet connections? Because I, have you heard about this? No. Well, the the, the general <laughs> principle of most broad, broadband lines is that it's like loads can go down and not much can go up. Okay. And so the you end up with a kind of uh, an idea that you've got really fast internet, but only if you're consuming, not producing. Okay. Right. So um, we have a symmetric line here, so that we can put up as much as we put down, because mm -hmm. that's what we have. Um, it just seems that even if you if even if you roll out the broadband target across the UK for what you, what you'll get down, it just won't work for modern usage for right. going for publishing or right. going up. Because so many people are content producers and um, producing stuff all the time. Right? Indeed, yeah. and if you if your um, your preference is for um, people consuming, then that's I just think that's the wrong just the wrong approach. I yeah, we're missing <laughs> missing a trick. <laughs> yeah, I mean I guess. They are very much um, uh, influenced by um, by people who run these com run companies that um, that people use to consume stuff. If, if that makes sense, you know, people pay to consume content, and and maybe that's because I don't know why, not lazy, but kind of. Um, who knows it's kind of like a general yeah like i feel like it's probably a bit more commercial than we than we than yes. we than we think it should be well I, there's, there's certain <laughs> realisms to the world that we have to uh, kind of understand i yeah. guess um stay in the shed and pretend it's not happening <laughs> <laughs> yes well i think we've come to a kind of logical conclusion there um it's fascinating to hear the story of what you're you're doing and where you're going i think that the uh, the idea you've got here is one of those ones that 
just sticks with me all the time. I, I, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always giving you as an example to people of what um, what's an interesting startup in Shoreditch. And I'm like, well, there's, there's <laughs> this one that do. makes no money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, wait, they, no, none of them do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, different ways of making no money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks very much for coming to the shed. Um, it's thanks been enjoyable having, having a, a conversation in here. Um, and um, now yes. we have to go back out in the rain. Yes, we do have to go back in the rain. Um, do you want to just give you a web address so that people listening can visit the sites? Oh, yeah. Uh, go to www.codeclub.org.uk or if you're listening in another country, codeclubworlds.org, um, where you can find out how to run a code club in your own country.